Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our 17-week study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. This edition is available on Amazon in both paper and on the Kindle e-reader. It is also available on the Crossway Books website. Links to both are available in the description text of the first episode of this series. In this episode, we'll be discussing chapter 9 in our source text, Refreshment at God's River. But first, a moment of prayer. O Father God, we come before you humbled by the power of your might and grateful for your presence here with us. Open our eyes, Father, that we may see your truth. Open our ears that we may hear the Spirit's whispers. Ready us, Father, for the challenges that lie ahead. Arm us with your sword that we may be victorious over the sin that is both within and without. Cleanse us, O Father God, that we may go out from the midst and be separate from them, that we may be ever faithful, ever obedient and holy as you called us to be. All glory and honor to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The characters here in chapter 9, Refreshment at God's River, are Mr. Byens, Demas, and the salt pillar of Lot's wife. Together, they provide a trilogy of warnings against the perils of loving this world, from which we must separate if we are to see life unto the ages. Well, loved ones, the implication here is quite stark, isn't it? The cross of the gospel leaves no room for worldly attachments. All from this world must be stripped away. Not easy, you say? No, it certainly is not. But this should not come as a surprise, for the Lord himself has warned us this would be the case in Matthew 7.14 because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And throughout Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan makes it clear that the Christian life is not an easy one. In fact, we are told to expect many trials and tribulations for following him, making us hostile to this world and it to us. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now as we begin, let us keep in the fore of our thoughts, loved ones, that as Christians we have many spiritual battles to be fought and won. Amen. 
So our pilgrims begin their journey in this chapter as they come to the plain of ease, where they walk with much content. It is an easy, restful place. It is referred to as delicate, meaning that it's not notable. That is, it does not stand out. Note that their time here is brief, reminding us of the arbor, a time of rest and refreshment, absent any spiritual warfare. It is a place where our pilgrims enjoy God's provisions, fresh water to quench their thirst, all manner of fruit to satisfy their hunger, and leaves of the trees good for medicine, and a place in the meadow to lay down and sleep safely. But just like the arbor, it most assuredly is not a place for retirement. It is narrow and fleeting, lest we forget how much we need God. From Deuteronomy 6.12, When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And Psalm 105.5, Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. We are always, loved ones, dependent on God. Let us not be tempted by an easing of our current trials, lest we become complacent and expose ourselves to the fiery darts of the evil one. Now let's turn our attention to the hill of Lucre, Demas and the silver mine. And we will begin with this excerpt from the book. Now at the further side of that plain was a little hill called Lucre, and in that hill a silver mine, which some of them that had formerly gone that way, because of the rarity of it, had turned aside to see. But going too near the brink of the pit, the ground became deceitful under them and broke, and they were slain. Some also had been maimed there and could not to their dying day be their own men again. So Demas tries to divert our pilgrims from the narrow path, the way of the Lord, to the path that leads up the hill of Lucre to the silver mine, the way of evil. Hopeful wants to go, but Christian is more cautious, knowing full well that it would be a mistake to leave the way. Why? Because it would inevitably lead to destruction. But Demas is persistent, as is all evil. He tells Christian his name is Demas and says he is the son of Abraham. But Christian confronts him, saying, No, Judas was your father, and he was hanged as a traitor, and you deserve the same. Christian denounces him as an enemy of the ways of the Lord and says he has already been condemned for turning aside. Now, loved ones, that is boldness. Oh, how we can learn from this pilgrim. Now some further insight. So Demas's plan is to lure unsuspecting pilgrims off the narrow way and onto a path that leads up a hill to a silver mine with the obvious prospects of wealth. That hill, the hill of lucre, represents the prosperity of the world. Money wealth and power that is gained through sinful and dishonest means. As a side note, it's on these hills of lucre that all prosperity churches sit and spew their distorted, dangerous, and damaging message 
to the unsuspecting. So the silver mine represents the anticipation of worldly wealth and success for any who want to live in ease, surrounded by the entrapments of this world. Christian is not persuaded and views it as a bad move and convinces his brother of the same. Now Demas isn't the first character that Bunyan has taken from Scripture. There was also Adam the first and Moses. You'll find Demas in the two Pauline letters where he's referred to as a fellow laborer, Colossians 4, 10, 14, and Philemon 1, 23, 24. Sadly, the truth is this. Near the end of Paul's life, we find that Demas has deserted him. And of this, Paul writes to Timothy, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Demas is like those who stand just outside the doors of mall stores, doing their best to lure you in by promising you how much better you'll look or feel. But in the case of Demas, he promises little work for a quick buck. Indeed, more than that, wealth and success for little effort. He's an appealing con man. Many succumb to such offers, both then and now. The problem, of course, is that you must veer off the way. You must become disobedient. But as they say, just for a while, to gain your worldly reward. Just for a while? It is only Christian steadfastness in the truth of the living word of God that keeps our pilgrims on the way. We must be ever watchful, loved ones, for things like this that distract us from the gospel and therefore from God. Remember this. There is no access to God but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This actually is the title of a sermon by John Newton, the slave ship owner turned pastor and then author of Amazing Grace. Too many in this world have already fallen into that pit, but Christian stands firm, having already run afoul and learned his lesson as a result of worldly wise man's beguiling ways. As mentioned earlier, Christian ties Demas to Judas, the one who betrayed our Lord for a bit of silver, from Matthew 26, 14, 18. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him up to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. But in the end, Judas paid the price. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Matthew 27, 3-5 The message here from Bunyan isn't that success is necessarily evil, but that it can easily seduce you into idolatry, making you forgetful of God. And God can never be second. From Deuteronomy, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire.
a jealous God. So in the end, Christian and Hopeful avert the dangerous trap set by Demas and continue on their way. Now the same cannot be said for Bayans and his friends who accept Demas's offer and veer off the way to check out the mine and instant profits. And they are never seen again. Are we not warned, loved ones, by the very word of God? Proverbs 28.22, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. And in Colossians 3.2 and 3.5, we are encouraged to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, and to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And we are warned to keep our eyes on the light that leads to the city, remembering always that the only treasure that matters is that which we lay up in heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen twenty one. Here's the message, loved ones. God and God alone can occupy the center point of our lives and in our hearts. Nothing else. He alone must be first, lest we find ourselves slipping off the ledge of the hill of lucre as we crave the promises of easy and temporary riches. Now let's turn our attention to Lot's wife. First, I'll read from the text. Now I saw that just on the other side of this plain, the pilgrims came to a place where an old monument stood right next to the highway. At the sight of this, they were both concerned because of the strangeness of its shape, for it seemed to them as if it had been a woman who was transformed into a pillar, and therefore they stood intently looking at it. But for a time, they did not know what to conclude. Eventually, Hopeful noticed an inscription on the head, though in an unusual style of writing. So being no scholar, he called upon Christian, on account of his learning, to see if he could interpret the meaning. So after some study of the letters, he found the meaning to be this, Remember Lot's wife. Then he read it to his companion, and after this they both concluded that it was the pillar of salt into which Lot's wife had been turned. This happened when, fleeing from Sodom for safety, she looked back with a covetous heart. This monument and its inscription are warnings of God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah and is placed there for the instruction of passing pilgrims. Now, prior to unleashing his fury with fire and brimstone, God sent angels to warn Lot and his family, telling them to flee the wrath that was to come. Genesis 19:17. So it came to pass when they the angels, had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. 
Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then, of course, God delivered the promise. He delivered the promised wrath, the judgment. From Genesis 19:24, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So how did this happen? Why did this happen? this turning of Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. Well, it happened as Lot and his wife were escaping from the wrath that had come upon Sodom. In fact, it was at the exact moment she looked back with a covetous heart. Instead of keeping her eyes on the path that God had put before them, and her punishment was being turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's wife heard what the angels had said that God's wrath was about to be unleashed upon the city of Sodom, but she did not have faith enough to believe it. Listen to James, first chapter 2 through 8, tell us what kind of faith is necessary. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Is it that easy? Is that it? No. James continues in the next verse with our obligation. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all ways. Now here's Charles Spurgeon spreading more light on the subject for us. Flight without so much as looking back was demanded of her. But this was too much. She did look back and thus proved that she had sufficient presumption in her heart to defy God's command and risk her all, to give a lingering love glance at the condemned and guilty world. And by that glance, she perished. That is the subject of our discourse. The love of the world is death. Those who cling to sin must perish, be they who they may. Lot, on the other hand, knowing full well that God's promise would be carried out, escaped because he looked steadfastly ahead with his feet locked to the path, the path given to him by the Lord. Amen. And from the same sermon, Spurgeon adds this, Our Lord bids us hold the world with a loose hand and be ever ready to leave it all. When we are called to it, we are to be ready to go forth without a particle in our hands. Separation is the only way of escaping death. We must flee from the world or perish with it. Listen, loved ones. A genuine pilgrimage demands constant vigilance. 
Let's turn now to the river that King David called the river of God, and that John describes as the river flowing from the throne of God in the final chapter of Revelation 22, 1-2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It is Jesus who has brought God near, loved ones. He is the source of living water, the fountain of life. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And the Old Testament anticipates the joy of his coming in Zechariah 14, 8 through 9. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. From Psalm 1, 2 to 3. Let us be among those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And now a parting comment from commentator Ken Pulse. Believer, drink deeply from this pleasant river. Delight in God's word. Meditate on its promises. The gospel affords an invigorating taste of heaven, even as we press on in our journey here on earth. May God lead us often to the banks of this river to refresh and encourage our weary souls. Amen. Well, loved ones, that concludes our discussion of chapter 9, Refreshment at God's River. Please pray with me. Father God, you are the one above all others. Glory and honor to you. Father, may we be among those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And may we drink deeply from the river of life and meditate on your promises. May we be bold in your word and not be taken in by the demises of this world, Father. And may our lives be living testimonies to the greatness of our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. In our next episode, we'll discuss chapter 10, Prisoners of Despair. Until then, loved ones, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. <laughs>